we're moving to new, a new office here soon. And so I'm just trying to figure out like, what's the new office trend. So you got the collaboration spaces and the, you know, the stand up desk and all that kind of stuff. But like, you know, where, where do you go from there? Like what's the next, I mean, does Peloton make a desk now? Is that <laughs> thing? You know, those little beds that you can get that kind of incline you at certain times. I was thinking a bed desk. <laughs> there you go. You just go in everybody's office. And everybody's laying down. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's much healthier for you. Really, and we could drive admissions because there would be some pressure injuries, I think. And by the way, you can install those uh, those as hospital beds too. And there's a win-win for the patients. They they don't have to lose work. Yeah. I mean, you, you can be connected to work just for the rest of your life. Um, yeah, we have high speed. You can use all the telemedicine contraptions we have in here to just zoom into your work call. Welcome to Touchpoint a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to Touchpoint. Welcome to episode number 323. That's 323 on your dial. Uh, welcome to Touchpoint. I'm Reed. That's Chris. Hey, Reed. I'm recording from the floor. I'm lying on the floor right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Kidding. I'm standing by the desk. But it, I did, it, for a second there, I thought about putting a pillow down on the floor and recording the rest of the day here. It's like a beanbag chair or something. You're just like, kind of like on the ground, sort of. Um, you'd be kind of in a partial like you know, sit-up or crunch position. You know, it's like a, you know, it's like you're planking while you're doing your call or something. I don't know. Core work the, all day long. Yeah. All right. We'll leave that alone for now. Uh, well, welcome one and all. Thanks for joining us for yet another episode of Touchpoint. Uh, quick plug for the website, touchpoint.health. Touchpoint.health is where you can go learn more about the show, of course. Uh, you'll notice up in the top navigation, something called the TPS report. The TPS report is where you give us your name, your email address, and we in turn give you one email a week. That one email will include five articles to kick off your week and hopefully uh, give you a little something to think about, a little motivation, a little value add, if you will. So hopefully uh, you will do that. We would love to connect with you that way as well. Find Chris and I on LinkedIn and all those kinds of fun places. But we will pause here for just one second before we drop, drop into today's show, let you go sign up for the TPS report, and then we'll meet you on the other side of this break. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is. And Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand. They demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint 
where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you. Reed, we've covered telemedicine a number of times on this show before, and it, pretty extensively over the last couple of years due to the pandemic. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, obviously, the way we connected with patients, through, especially through the heart of the pandemic, almost exclusively, right? And we were doing it in really any way that we found possible. You had more like e-visits, which could be like, a, you know, via email, right? Like you're sending stuff back and forth. Uh, there were obviously, you know, phone call related visits as well. Uh, and then more kind of what we think about telemedicine being, which is more of a video conference, you know, FaceTime and Zoom and synchronous and asynchronous ways to do telemedicine. And in fact, I think that phone calls are even considered telemedicine according to some of the regulations they that are. are out there. In one of the recent episodes where we were talking about telemedicine, we did mention the hype cycle, right, of adoption. Remember the trough of disillusionment? That's the only part of the hype cycle I remember. I love a good hype cycle. Um, yeah, there's an inflection point. Uh, there's the trough of disillusionment. And then coming out of that is where you kind of plane off into like what is you know the reasonable use case going forward. And we speculated in that episode that telemedicine is kind of in that reasonable use, use case. It's kind of standardizing it. And that seemed kind of reasonable for us to make that assumption. Maybe that's actually not going to happen because there are some signs that telemedicine, the bubble, is about to burst. Mm. We wanted to cover a little bit about that topic and some of the things that we think are signals to maybe maybe not completely eradicating telemedicine, but dramatically changing the way it works. Yeah, let's kind of jump in. So we all know how we got here. It's not that this stuff didn't exist before the pandemic. It did, but people were kind of used to the the way that they engaged a healthcare system or a uh, provider, and and that was still the preferred method. Again, but the, I mean, some of this stuff, it's not like it just miraculously sprung up. We just accelerated it through the pandemic. So. First article we want to kind of cover, fmglaw.com, the end of the COVID-19 public health uh, emergency uh, impacts for hospitals, healthcare providers, and telehealth. So COVID-19 public health emergency will end May the 11th, 2023. That is right, May the 11th, 2023. Now, maybe something happens between now and then and something gets extended or, or whatever. I don't know. I'm not in the kind of GR world. And so I, I'm, I'm not going to you know, make any predictions on if that date holds or you know what happens. But again, going off of what we know today, May the 11th, 2023. So it's been in, in, in effect, right, since the beginning of the pandemic. And this allowed or kind of laxed uh, some of the uh, the regulations, as well, uh, if you will, around how we were able to communicate with with patients. Right, there were waivers. You know how you got reimbursed, like all all the stuff. And the number of waivers were around telemedicine. One of the ones that can't, uh, is clearly outlined in this article is the Department of Health and Human Services are going to resume enforcement of penalties against providers that use telehealth technologies like Zoom or FaceTime that are not HIPAA compliant. 
Now, I would argue that if you're in a health system right now and you're continuing to use non-HIPAA compliant technologies, there are some other things you may want to be aware of, and we'll cover that a little bit later in today's episode. But that's one of those things that's going to be significant. And the other one, Reed, is about licensure of being able to use telemedicine across state lines. So no FaceTime. No across state lines. Well, I guess, I mean, depends on your licensure, right? But just this idea that like, yeah, whatever, just do whatever, wherever, you know, like that's all all gone away or is going away. You guys are making kind of a plan, if you will. And I'm sure a lot of organizations have. It's not like this came up yesterday or something, you know. So, you know, one interesting call out in here, uh, all 50 states, you know, during this uh, or where we stand today, all 50 states, I like how we like to call out the District of Columbia as a separate thing. I feel like we're in a beauty pageant or something. Anyway. Uh, all 50 states, including uh, the District of Columbia, provided certain waivers to state licensure requirements, right, to expand this access. And under those, these waivers, you could, you know, have, you know, what we're saying here is that, you know, stretch across state lines. And through all of this, you know, telehealth became somewhat, I mean, this was a big talking point during the pandemic, was this utilization of telehealth. And we went from having 400 monthly, you know, telehealth visits to 400,000. You know, I mean, it was like these absurd numbers, right? Everybody was like, holy cow. I mean, this is unbelievable. It's interesting because telehealth, uh, some of the flexibilities will remain in effect through the end of 24 and will allow, you know, to bill for telehealth services regardless of where the patient provider is located, reimbursement of audio-only telehealth visits, delivery of expanded telehealth services, including like PT, occupational speech, you know, audiologists, things like that. What's interesting to me is like all this can't just go away. Like we can't go back to where we were. I'm not, again, not saying we're going to extend anything, but I think we'll find, you know, somewhat of a middle ground. I think you're right. I mean, it's going to be hard to put the toothpaste back in the tube, if I can borrow a previous episode title that we used around Mm -hmm. telemedicine, Mm -hmm. because each state has the ability now to determine whether to keep these licenses or not. I think there's going to be, you're going to see some, this is my prediction, some regionality, like maybe the Northeast region, they'll allow people across multiple different, you know, states to practice just because we kind of rebuilt an approach around telemedicine to support accessing rural communities or even the the customers themselves really like it right for regular check-ins they don't want to drive you know two hours or what have you we certainly have to respond to that accordingly one of the impacts of this ending of the public health emergency that is going to cause a lot of conversations over the next couple of weeks to determine what we're going to do well, I mean, the reality of it is, is yes, it is very convenient for certain folks. And it's not convenient in the sense of like, well, I don't have to like get out and go and be around sick people to have like a well visit. There is that. And I'm not minimizing that. But if you look at, if I look at some of the markets that like my organization participates in, you take a rural community where we have a hospital, right? So think hub and spoke model, right? Like you've got a big tertiary hospital in quote unquote in town. And then you've got these rural community hospitals slash critical access facilities. And you got a mom uh, that's expecting multiples. So she's high risk. She's got to go into town, so to speak. She's got to drive into the city to see an MFM or whoever, because they can't do that in her community. Okay. Well, what does that mean? 
Well, she's got to take off work. She's got to find child care for her current children, potentially. Drive an hour to sit down in a room and somebody to go, well, it all looks good. You have any questions? And then she turns on and leaves. And it's like, we, you know, shot a whole day, right? And lost out on wages, you know, and all this kind of stuff that could have been accomplished via telemedicine to just remote in. And somebody go, you know, hey, how are you? How are you feeling? How are you doing? You have any questions? No, okay, great. You know, again, I'm not saying this works for every scenario, but it's just there's some real implications to folks, um, and it's not purely about convenience. Right. It's also about productivity, too. I think about it from a business perspective, right? There are many businesses have now enrolled and uh, ha- have extended their benefits to include telemedicine solutions for their employees. Right. And again, for the very same reason, I guess it's a little bit of access and convenience. That's also going to be something that needs to be considered, particularly when you think about partnerships that large organizations have with provider organizations. So I think, I think these, all of these things are going to come into mind. Let's do this read. Let's take a brief pause. And when we come back, AMA actually has a number of uh, telemedicine predictions. And why don't we talk about those? Because it also speaks to the fact that telemedicine is slowly starting to redefine itself. And we'll do that right after this break. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So moving forward, you know, what can we expect going forward? And so this article is actually from the AMA and it's predictions, you know, what to expect in telehealth in 2023. Here are five predictions. And so let's let's go through these, see if we agree, disagree, you know, maybe we have some insights or color commentary around some of this stuff. But this was uh, from an AMA uh, telehealth uh, immersion program webinar where a number of experts shared their views and perspectives on how it evolved through 22 and, and where, you know, where we're headed in 23. Yeah. And before we get into the five predictions, one of the webinar attendees, Dr. Eyal Zimlikman, who, who's an MD, he said that uh, we're going to see a slow rise from 20% to 25% of what we are currently seeing, moving up to 70% again, and that's the natural course. He says it's ultimately it's going to take another five years or so to see the drive up of telemedicine adoption. You know, we kind of hit that trough of disillusionment, mm-hmm. we're re- readjusting and we're coming back to sort of that normalization. He says within five years, we're going to see telemedicine kind of reframe itself in the new healthcare delivery model, and we'll be at about 70% usage at that time. That's kind of a lofty statement there. 70%. That's a lot. That's a high number. It's a lot of patients using telemedicine. So what are these five ways that AMA feels, or this panel and AMA feels, we're going to see it? All right. So first thing they call out uh, is ease of use. 
you know, that, that we will continue to see this evolve. Again, not crazy to think about, you know, iterations of technology become easier to use, more intuitive, people are used to it, you know, that kind of thing. So easier to use in that we expect to see more effort and money put into the usability of telehealth solutions. So a lot of what we talked about was using existing communication mediums you know we talked about facetime and zoom and these types of things is that really what we need for this you know i don't know you take like epic and you take some other you know big players in the industry you know that have the resources they'll double down on this right you know ease of use and kind of that ui ux element related to this both for the clinician and also for the consumer uh, as well yeah, absolutely. I think that's important, right? The provider side, usability, usability. I'm all in on usability and increased usability. And I'm, and we're definitely not talking about just making it, you know, like a FaceTime. We're talking about making the whole experience a little bit better. But there's another step that they're predicting is going to happen. Aggregated all-in-one technology. They predict that some eyebrow, eyebrowing, quote unquote, joint ventures are going to occur between technology and healthcare professionals. They're going to take steps to create a more seamless environment, right? I think seamless between in person versus virtual. It must be like virtual reality stuff. Yeah, it's a lot of AR and VR, you know, going forward. I think that's that's where I double down. Yeah, um, <laughs> you know, let's just let's just skip right to Second Life. <laughs> but again, I think this kind of leverages or, or kind of goes back to the first point of like we're, we're going to make this easier to use. You know, I think about video or VCRs, video cameras in the early days, right? Like you had a camera, you had a whole separate like box. You like like New Station Five showing up. You know, you had like a whole separate box that held the the tape that you had to unplug, you know, and now it's just like, it's on our phone. There's no physical media anymore. You know, again, we're not going to move quite that fast probably, but yeah, I mean, there's going to be a way that, you know, this just becomes easier. It's all in one. Next thing on the list, they call out chronic disease management or chronic care management. This is an interesting prediction. I mean, I'm already seeing it in, in things that we're doing, right? If you think about managing chronic disease or chronic care management, however you want to kind of classify that. A lot of pharma, I guess, focus has, has been, you know, historically where where things have, have leaned. But now with wearables in ways that we connect with people, you know, sensors and, you know, all the patient monitoring that can happen, things like that, we have an opportunity here. So this is not a telehealth visit in the sense that like, oh, I'm sick. I'd like to, you know, have a call with a primary care physician so I can get a Z pack. I think that's where right. people's minds go a lot is just that type of an interaction. This is, I think what we're talking about here is, you know, we are going to monitor a population of patients for various reasons. Could be diabetes. It really could even be a certain population that we know from a social determinants of health perspective uh, have food insecurities, transportation needs. Uh, we want to head off uh, potential isolation because we know that leads to depression and higher utilization. You, you know what I mean? Like there's different scenarios here that we're monitoring and then potentially leads us to a virtual interaction with that person. And, and I do think this will continue to see uh, an elevated kind of uptick. 
I think so too. I, and it, these seem to be kind of related if you think about it, right? The integration or an all-in-one technology. What we're talking about now is telemedicine integrating with at-home care or remote patient monitoring and various different things, right? So this is like a technology advancement where you're going to have seamless care passing through one experience to another and finding new applications. So I'm, I'm all in right now with the three predictions so far. Let's get to the fourth one. Government funding and regulation for telemedicine is continuing to be a hot topic. And their prediction is that telemedicine will only continue to grow if physicians and other healthcare providers are being paid properly for these services. Mm-hmm. So their prediction is, along with regulatory issues as licensing and treating patients across state lines, there's going to be more attention spent to properly reimbursing providers to use this technology. What do you think about that prediction? you think that's going to impact things? Yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, in the idea that I, a clinician, are going to spend time doing something, I mean, we're still very much in a fee-for-service world, right? And that's probably not going to change materially, you know, for a bit. I'm not saying we don't have at-risk populations and we're not doing some of that work. Still a lot of fee-for-service, you know, so, you know, hey, we want you to do more of this, less of that, shift this work here, you know, however you want to frame that. Well, that's fine as long as it financially makes sense. Otherwise, I'm going to spend my time elsewhere. Again, it's getting alignment with providers. This is one way to get alignment with providers. Fifth and final one, uh, more capital will flow to innovation. I agree. (laughs) I mean, uh, it's not hard to see this. A lot of investors, everybody wants into healthcare. I'm not talking about you know, Google and Amazon and all those. I mean, those are obvious ones that are in the news all the time. But, you know, a lot of these private equity companies and firms and design studios and venture studios, uh, everybody wants into healthcare. This is where we're going to see things go. I, you know, I, I have talked through my role, talked to a lot of chief innovation officers that have studios and innovation hubs and commercialization arms and things like that. This is all they're focused on is kind of this virtual uh, world of how we connect with patients, become more consumer-centric, you know, that that kind of thing. And so, again, will we get it all completely right? No, but that's where the money is focused right now. And it makes sense, right? It, in terms of innovation and in terms of where we want to go, obviously, everybody's eyes is focused on this. Telemedicine, as appropriately used, it has a good role in our healthcare delivery environment. So why not look at these ways to extend and utilize technologies that are all around us that we're using with FaceTime and with Zoom and all of these other things, right? Why don't we go ahead and utilize and improve upon these to ultimately improve the core problems with healthcare, which is inability to access care and the convenience, right? Or the inconvenience, I should say. Well, Reed, good conversation, but we have a little bit more to talk about because we kind of want to do a check-in because there's been some activity or movement, I should say, in sort of the retail telehealth space that I think is appropriate and can align to where we think maybe telemedicine is changing to. Let's do that right after this break. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Have to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. All right. So we talked about uh, COVID emergency easing, which is going to impact telemedicine. We talked about some of the uh, predictions of where telemedicine will go and our thoughts about how it can be integrated into uh, other ways of delivery. But one aspect of telemedicine or telehealth that we haven't addressed are some of those retail organizations that are out there and have made a lot of news. And they're facing a little bit of a, a, a little bit of a challenge themselves. And I think the first one comes from an article that's entitled Senators Demand Answers from Telehealth Firms on pixel-related data sharing practices. Uh-oh. thought we were done talking about pixels. Uh, I don't think we're oh, going to be done talking about okay. pixels for a while, but uh, in this particular case, a bipartisan group of senators has written to three telehealth companies demanding answers about their use of third-party tracking technologies on their websites and have requested details on what health data information they have shared with third parties, such as Meta, Google, and social media networks. Well, there's that. <laughs> how would that even work? Like, how would they be sharing? I guess if they're delivering, um, well, anyway, we don't need to get in the mechanics of it necessarily. This has become a big industry. It calls out in here valued at over $30 billion, with a B. And that it's, you know, super convenient and, you know, Americans are connecting. And I think that's why it's drawn a lot of attention, certainly, from people saying, okay, but from a security standpoint, what are we doing here? And that's really what they call out, you know, that that convenience and privacy, sensitivity of, of the health information, like all this needs to be, you know, taken into account as we look at how it's connected to some of these these big platforms. And again, we've talked about kind of the uh, the pixel and privacy related stuff. Uh, on some previous episodes, so we won't, you know, I won't belabor that point. This is an interesting one because I, I do think there's a lot of this in the sense of like, okay, you're filling out a form on my website. Yes, I, I understand that there is PII there, PHI there, or whatever. But if we're talking about an actual visit and the information that comes from that, I mean, we're we're getting really, uh, really in the weeds of. Um, Protected health information, right? We really are. Now, remember last summer when Markup Stat did an investigation of tracking technologies on hospital websites? Well, guess what? In December, a similar investigation was conducted on the use of code by telehealth companies, and 49 out of 50 telehealth websites were sharing consumer data with these third-party companies. Hmm. Despite the fact that they maintained that their information disclosed to them by consumers would be kept private and confidential. So... It's sparked the interest of some of our senators. And given that, right, they're asking for some clarification around this. Now, I think, you know, I, I guess there's comfort in the fact that retail telemedicine firms are being considered as, as closely as sort of the regulated industries like us as hospitals and health systems. And they should be following the guidance that OCR and HSS has uh, outlined for us around the tracking of that information. But it does bring up that 
entire challenge, right, about tracking technologies and what actually is being shared. Um, and, you know, the FTC has been looking at them as a potential, you know, infractions. I'm wondering if that means that there's going to be some violations from FTC against some of these companies. Probably. But can we agree, though, that, I mean, we're talking about, this is all relative to privacy and convenience, right? And so there's some level of like, uh, we've talked about this, privacy is an illusion. Everybody knows everything. So, you know, in, in some respect, you're like, yeah, I get it. But this is what makes sense to the consumer. Can we not all agree to, you know, I'm not saying no one needs to keep an eye on privacy. That's not what I'm saying. But I, I don't know. I, I just, I get some of this stuff. It's like, okay, but practically, if I'm the consumer, there's there's that scale, right? Uh, that, you know, kind of weighted how much privacy am I willing to give up based on convenience and resources that otherwise I couldn't have. This is the whole argument for like, if you just put a chip in my arm, could I just bypass everything at the airport? I don't know that I want a chip in my arm because then like everybody knows everything, but I do get to skip security just like all together, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, you know, is that worth it? And that's, that's the, you know, is it worth it scale? The consumer, is it worth it scale? I think we need to trademark that read. <laughs> You know, I think so. We can probably we can probably get a weather guy to do it for us. Uh, So it feels like temperatures. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, so so it it isn't just the these you know these firms that the senators are talking about and the the pixel sharing concerns, right? The privacy concerns. There are other things that are impacting sort of the retail healthcare space, and so it'd be remiss of us not to not to briefly touch on what's been going on with one of the largest providers in this space that grew momentously over the pandemic, and that's Teladoc. So we found an article, it's actually an opinion piece by a gentleman by the name of Bashar Salami, who is a a news reporter in health and fitness and technology. And he uh, actually wrote an article that says, if telehealth is the future, the largest provider can't keep losing money. That doesn't sound very good. No. Teladoc is probably the first name that comes to mind is if you said like, you know, in the industry, maybe not to a consumer, but in the industry, if you asked name a telehealth company, ready, go, you know, like this is probably number one on the list. Maybe there's some other ones, Amwell, for example, and and there's some very, you know, disease specific ones that just do behavioral health or, you know, anyway, those types of things. So, uh, they did. They grew very quickly, obviously. Uh, they've been around a long time, founded in 02, which in one respect, I'll be honest, does not sound like that long ago, but that's 20 years. So um, that's it's been a minute. Uh, but yeah, lost uh, billions of dollars last year. I'm not a finance guy. Doesn't seem good, but uh, yeah, that's just me. They lost a lot of money, and I think it's partly because they grew so fast. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering if there is a little bit of that riding the bubble, right? Riding the bubble of the pandemic that encouraged them to go out. I think they acquired BetterHelp, Best Doctors, Advanced Medical, and Livongo. You know, that's a significant, or as the, as this person, Bashar writes, meteoric rise. But along the way, 
they were investing in the future, investing in expansion. I'm not saying they followed the same business practices as we work guy, but you know, it sounds to me a little <laughs> bit of that, like you're investing in the future. And yeah. what happened is, is there was sort of a massive readjustment because it translated into increased acquisitions, but not necessarily profitability. And their yeah. reported revenues from last year showed that they had a net loss of $13.7 billion. Well, I think the most interesting comment in here to me is um, in this article or this opinion piece is, you know, he says, you know, when it comes to technology being first doesn't always translate to success. Google didn't create search. Apple didn't invent the smartphone. Right. And, and the point being is like if if being first always meant you got to, you know, be number one on the list, you know, we'd all be posting on Friendster and in MySpace and spending all of our time, uh, you know, downloading music from Napster or something, you know. So, uh, again, <laughs> I think a lot of times it's like these organizations, you know, it lends itself to kind of opening up uh, innovation and ideas and then you have other people come in that really win the space for various reasons. And I think that's probably what we'll see. Maybe it is Teladoc ultimately that, that you know, figures out the right business model here. But as I look at things like, okay, we're an Epic client. We have one instance of Epic across our entire enterprise. Uh, why would we not use the Epic video client? you know, that's built into the thing, you know, it's like you're going to have to overcome some other big players in this industry that already have their teeth, like the EHR vendors already have their teeth into these organizations from a, from a tech stack standpoint. We're, we're seeing sort of a reckoning right now and maybe a right sizing of the telemedicine market. Would, I guess that's fair to say that, right? And so to that end, I think that we just need to keep an eye on this. As we move closer to May, when the COVID pandemic emergency, I should say, eases, right, or is relaxed, and we see like the organizations and the industries sort of right-sizing to what the new reality of telemedicine is, I'm wondering where we're going to, are we going to jump back to different stages of the hype cycle or are, is this just the normal standardization? But I don't know, Reed, do you think that the telemedicine bubble is about to burst? No, not really. I mean, not as I think about telemedicine in which is not really have a video visit with your PCP doc. That's not really where my head is. I, I'm probably more in the camp of looking at remote patient monitoring, chronic care management, uh, you know, some of those use cases of how, you know, we better serve and kind of wrap ourselves um, as providers around the consumer. I do think on-demand video visits and the telehealth as, as it is with a PCP provider will still play a role and still be important. But I think there's probably more equity in, you know, kind of that RPM, CCM space. Well, what do you think, listeners? We'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, please feel free to comment. Let us know. Reach out to Reed and I. Uh, and if you're in the telemedicine space and you're seeing something different happen, we'd love to uh, hear more. Where your perspective in, inside? Yeah, I mean, as you look at like you know, for profit, not for profit, academic medical centers, things like that. I know everybody's in a little bit of different place, and so we just love to hear what's working, not working, you know, what, where the struggles seem to be and kind of what the future for the organization looks like. So yeah, reach out. Okay. Well with that, Reed, why don't we uh, take one last pause and then we'll be back to close out the show. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. 
behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. All right, another good episode, uh, telehealth, virtual care, all that kind of fun stuff. There'll be more of this as we go because, again, our world is digital. We are getting further and further involved in these kind of topics, which is which is cool, which is really cool that we're not just talking about advertising, right? We're talking about holistically the digital experience, which this is part of. So more to come. If you've got ideas, topics you'd like to see us cover, people we should interview, things like that, reach out. Again, uh, like Chris mentioned, LinkedIn is probably the best way to do that. TPS report, sign up for that over at touchpoint.health. You get the articles to start your week along with links to conferences that are coming up. Um, next one on the agenda, uh, Chris, you and I are going to be speaking at the uh, Healthcare Marketing and Physician Strategy Summit in Austin. That's April 17th through 19. April 17th through 19. Uh, certainly you can Google that or maybe a link in the show notes can get you over there. Be sure to register. Let us know if you're going to be there. Uh, we'll be recording, doing some interviews, obviously being on panels, things like that. So look forward to uh, connecting with folks. Absolutely. And by the way, we're not speaking together. We're going to have two separate sessions that we're going to be speaking at. The rare sightings of Chris Boyer and Reed Smith not talking together is going to be at yeah. the conference. So, <laughs> yeah. But we'll be yeah. there together also recording, um, recording an episode of our show. So more than happy to have you uh, come. Maybe you listen into a live recording and uh, maybe we'll even ask you to come up and be part of the panel session. We'll let you know. There you go. All right. Recommendations to round out the week. What do you got? Reed, I'm going to recommend a podcast that I recommended before on the show many years ago. Uh, it's time to bring it back up. It's one of my favorite podcasts, my go-to. This is one of those podcasts that I listen to every episode, regardless. Uh, it comes out weekly, 99% invisible. And the reason why yeah. I'm bringing it back up is just this week, they did a, in case you missed an episode, or they call it a redux, right? They pulled out from their archives an episode that must have ran before I started listening to them. And it was really fascinating. It was about GeoCities. Oh, wow. And the rise of GeoCities and how that started a whole movement online towards uh, shifting the, the perception of the intranet, because this was in the early stages of the intranet, Mm -hmm, to becoming mm -hmm. a place where people can participate and actually own land, so to speak, own virtual land, right? <laughs> own their own places. Uh, they were they used to be called the Beverly Hills Internet Company, and they changed their name to GeoCities to you know to indicate like there's these cities where you can come and you could stay in a neighborhood, and the neighborhood may be about you know X Files at the time. You know there were like a number of GeoCities accounts around that, and it just brought me back. It kind of brought me back to the earlier early days of when. I was on the internet and I was part of GeoCities. Yeah, I had an account. I forgot what neighborhood I was in, but just like how we thought about the internet in those days. And then they, of course, they did a kind of a, uh, how that is, has evolved to what we know of the internet today. But every week, this podcast brings up interesting design, technology, society, sports. There's a lot of different topics. I mean, just, you know, over the last, if you look over the last couple of episodes, they did a show about GeoCities. They did a show about robotic umpires that are in baseball being used now. 
They also talked about uh, the color orange being used in revolutionary movements in Moscow. It's a wide variety. It's a very entertaining show. It comes out every week. Highly recommended. 99% Invisible. I am going to recommend an app that uh, is kind of fascinating, quite honestly, if we think about just technology and uh, how it fits into our lives. But if you happen to like Legos, there is an app called Brickit, like B-R-I-C-K-I-T, Brickit. And um, it does a couple of things. One, it's got a feed, much like Instagram. So think about Instagram only for Legos, Right. And so you can kind of scroll through and just see Lego creations and that's all cool and fine and good or whatever. And maybe it gives you some ideas or it'd be kind of fun to look at. But then it's got this uh, thing built in uh, where it allows you to scan your Legos. Okay. So get a big pile of Legos, you kind of spread them out on the floor and then you scan it. Like you use the phone, you use the app and it scans all of your Legos and it counts them all. It inventories all of them that it sees. Oh, wow. And then it will give you a list of like, all right, from these Legos, you could build these things. Oh my gosh. And then you like pick one and it gives you the instructions on how to build it. That is pretty cool. That's pretty cool. I didn't know that. So it it must use AI and other things to kind of understand. Oh, wow. Now that's a really cool, fun application. Yeah. So again, uh, if you've got kids or you got somebody or you yourself are into Legos or you've got a whole bunch of random parts and pieces, uh, download it, try it out, you know, spread them out on the floor, scan them, uh, see what it gives you to build. Um, Anyway, it's just kind of a neat application. Uh, again, will it be something that you use every day or for the rest of your life? Maybe not, but it's it's a cool cool app to kind of play around with. Anyway, it's called Brickit. All right. Well, there it is, folks. Another episode. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, we'd appreciate it if you would rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, all that kind of fun stuff. Touchpoint.health is the website. On the other side of the microphone, that is Chris Boyer. I am Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.